Welcome. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have with me Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. And we're going to take a new look at a very old drug, and that would be cocaine. Now, um, we have had a couple of articles that have come out in the last month or so about cocaine and cocaine-related deaths. And this has raised, I think, for those of us who are in the treatment and recovery world, the, um, the, the concern that this old drug is making a new um, appearance and is being increasingly, unfortunately, combined with other drugs that are ending up in a very lethal kind of picture. For many years, we've known about the combination of cocaine and alcohol, and that this particular combination of two drugs creates a compound called cocaethylene which is incredibly potent in terms of releasing the pleasure chemical, but it is also very destructive on the brain and on the liver. So years ago, we used to be very concerned about the combination of these drugs. Now we have a new reason to be concerned about it, and that was a study that came out um, January 27th of 2017, where the um, Research Society on Alcoholism did a study looking at suicide deaths and unintentional deaths due to injuries and comparing those deaths to motor vehicle accidents. Now, we know that certainly people who are more likely to die in an automobile accident have been drinking. The interesting thing is that we're seeing a rise in the combination of those people dying with alcohol-related motor vehicle accidents. Also, that there's an increased number of those folks having cocaine in their system. But what was really interesting was that the researchers looked at about 350 individuals living in New Mexico vast majority, as we would have expected, are men. About 265 of them were men. And the ages were roughly 18 to 54. These folks all were given a um, uh, a diagnosis, if you will, on the death certificate of suicide. And when they looked at the toxicology reports associated with these folks, they found that there was the high presence of alcohol, but that there was also a high presence of other drugs, most importantly or most significantly was cocaine. And in fact, they figure that alcohol and cocaine were more likely to be a combination found in people who had committed suicide, greater even than the number of people who died from motor vehicle accidents related to alcohol or alcohol and cocaine. So this, again, is um, raising a lot of questions, whether the alcohol was... um, 
used to try and cope with the depression that happens after people have taken cocaine because we know with drugs like methamphetamine and with cocaine, as people are coming down off their high, they often experience profound feelings of depression and sometimes suicidal thoughts. Um, so the question is, is the alcohol there to try and help them cope with that, or does the alcohol decrease their ability to control their impulses, and now when they're feeling this profound depression, they're more likely to act on it? Those questions are still um, part of the discussion, but I think this rising concern that we're seeing increased numbers of death from motor vehicle accidents but a real significant increase in the suicide rate associated with a combination of alcohol and cocaine. So this was a scary study to me, especially seeing what we see, which is a lot of our patients now are coming in with cocaine again. So, David, Michael, welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for being here. Thank you. Also very glad to be here. Um, what I find so particularly interesting about that study is that with most of the patients you work with, when when they haven't um, died in that incident and they come in and they're talking about it, most often they will deny that they had a suicide attempt. They'll they'll say it's been misunderstood. They'll say that they're that that's just what the doctor wrote down. But they won't necessarily put the connection that what they did that from the outside looked incredibly suicidal um, and would easily have been documented as suicidal was was that and i think it's because part of what the alcohol does is takes away the memory of what was going on um you know it it, it um is a disinhibitor so they're more apt to do act on impulses and and the cocaine accelerates a lot of things and so i i think that their memory of of what they were doing and what was going on at that time um is is greatly impaired I, w I would have to agree. We know certainly that for a lot of folks that have overdosed with any number of drugs, they often have no memory for the event. They don't have any memory of what happened right before and often not for a long time afterwards because of a direct effect of these drugs on the memory. Alcohol is notorious for causing blackouts, mm -hmm. which is you're walking, talking, doing things, People think you're acting normally, and yet you have no memory for it, none, uh, the next day. These blackouts are profound and often accompany it, and I think that probably given how depressed and suicidal people can be as they're coming down from cocaine, we often do see them potentially being suicidal and that this combination may really result in a lot more near misses that were actually suicide attempts. Yeah. But And you have that, that Jekyll and Hyde effect with alcohol that, uh, that many people will always assume towards the angry alcoholic. The really nice guy goes out and has a few whiskeys and suddenly he's, he's you know, really super tough and really super mean and, and just angry at everybody. But the other one that we real regularly see is the one who starts crying all over the place and mm -hmm. blubbering all over the place. And, right. You know, he's he is a distinct personality as well that comes with getting drunk that, that I could easily see moving along this pathway, going towards the self-pity and nobody cares for me and I should just go ahead and drive my car off the highway. Yep. Scary stuff. And that... Um, 
that I think is probably all too common a scenario that people have not been talking about. But hopefully this study will raise awareness and hopefully increase the opportunity for some of these discussions with folks to talk about this dangerous combination of alcohol and cocaine. And the other study that, that brought the cocaine discussion back to light that, that we noticed was a, a study that showed an increase in driving, um, um, increase in deaths related to opiates and cocaine. And this is something we've kind of been waiting on. Um, right. The, the, the research has frequently shown that when there's an opiate epidemic that we've talked about for a long time, that that's often followed by a cocaine um, epidemic, and, and so it's not a surprise to us to begin seeing the cocaine and opiates together. Um, and, and we've actually begun hearing people again talking about what they refer to as speedballing, which is intentionally mixing the two for the, the euphoric pleasure and the energy, um, kind of using it to, to, to try and regulate the effects of each. Um, um, and what we're seeing is, a, a, once again, a national trend that heroin or synthetic opiates has increased um, the driving and, and overdose deaths with, with cocaine being a part of that mixture. So the, the deadly effect of both of them is, is once again on the rise. And we often hear about the opioid deaths, and that has certainly been a topic on this show a number of times, and certainly in most major news outlets, um, Facebook, all kinds of places, you're seeing the concern about opioid deaths. And when they talk about synthetic opioids, they're usually meaning prescription drugs as opposed to the naturally occurring opiates, which would be heroin, um, morphine, and codeine. So these combinations we, we were seeing a lot and still do see with benzodiazepines. And in fact, those particular drugs now have an FDA black box warning saying, do not mix these doctors, do not prescribe these medications together. But what we have haven't been noticing until very recently and until this study came out, we haven't really seen this combination of opiates and cocaine. And so just as we're concerned about cocaine and alcohol, cocaine is showing up. But in the 70s, we were hearing about the um, cocaine and opiate mixture. Right. And then it kind of went away for a little while and, and now it's back. And then through the 90s, and, and this study was actually looking at kind of a longitudinal um, cause of death for people. And so the 90s and up through 2006, there was a constant or a steady increase in deaths related to cocaine. And that kind of went away mm -hmm. right about 2006, and, and it was replaced by deaths related to opiates. And, and the, over the course of the, that next period, we were seeing and regularly talking about all the people that were overdosing from opiates. 2010, what the study has shown is that it, the, the two have come together now, that the cocaine and the overdoses with opiates now have cocaine mixed into the, into the mix. And I think that's been one of the phenomenon that we have seen over the years. Back in the olden days when I was first working in the field of addiction, most people had one drug that they used. They were 
They used alcohol. They used methamphetamine. They used cocaine. They used heroin. And they might dabble a little bit in the other drugs, but they were pretty loyal to their brand. They were pretty loyal to their drug or their category of drugs of choice. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it is very rare, in my experience at least, that we see someone who's using just one drug. Right. They're usually using a combination of drugs. They might have one category that they prefer, but very often we see this mixture of drugs and this very fluid, whatever is available is what I'm going to use. Well, and it's interesting because when, when they call or when their loved one apparently calls, um, they usually have a drug that has sort of pushed them over the edge or they've gotten into trouble with. Um, but then when you sit down with them and really talk to them, they, they talk about, you know, well, when I can't get this, I like this. Or when, when I don't have this, I, I can do this, you know. But there's always a backup plan. Right. And I think some of this is reflected with the multi-service now that drug dealers provide, which is instead of one drug dealer that sells you your pot and another place that you've got to go to get your cocaine, now they have all kinds of drugs, all different mixtures of drugs, and if what you want isn't available, the very knowledgeable drug dealer will provide you with another alternative. And I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, although it is very true. We're going to take a break now, and we'll be back in a few moments to talk more about cocaine, a new look at an old drug. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss... To show that you really wanted to hear, all of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. 
These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and I have with me today in studio Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. We're taking a new look at an old drug. The drugs seem to just keep recycling. As David, you mentioned in the first segment, we often see the heroin or the opiate epidemics followed quickly with cocaine and we've seen this although I think the cycles are now shorter than they used to be and we're seeing the um, the rise in our patient population of uh, people using cocaine again and mm-hmm. coming in for treatment where their identified drug of choice or their drug of problem is cocaine mm-hmm. we in in the last six or eight weeks we've probably had five or six calls dealing with cocaine which well, is and what was interesting to me was that it used to be you would see a pretty much distinction between people who like cocaine and people who like crystal meth and and they didn't really cross over the right people that wanted crystal meth liked that energy liked it lasting a long long time people that like cocaine like that euphoria and like that you know they could party for the night and that would be over with and they could go on with their day mm-hmm. the next day with the with the mixture in there of the opiates, you're seeing that crossover, and they're mixing whatever they can get together with it, um, which is really just raises such a high concern of the the lethality of it all. That going back and really looking at cocaine, <laughs> um, or, or walk through the years of cocaine. So brief description. Um, I'm not sure that that many people need this brief description anymore (laughs) since it's on TV all the time, but it's a very powerful, highly addictive stimulant um, made from the the leaves of the coca plant in in South America. It's been used, and it's still used, for for anesthesia. Yes. um, And surgeries, particularly eye surgery and things that Mm -hmm. you need to be able to constrict bleeding. Um, But it also gives a very, very powerful euphoria that has the power to, uh, with some, with some people, immediately change their memory circuits to to make them um, want to continue to use cocaine um, all the time, and and it hits that memory memory circuit so that thing everything associated to that experience becomes ingrained, and it's something they have found is not easily extinguished, and is. Rememberable, and I think we'll talk about a, another study um, in a few minutes. But it is the the memory of it lasts for years and years. The euphoric recall, it, this experience is so intense, powerfully rewarding, that even years after, it takes very little <laughs> exposure of cocaine again for them to be immediately full tilt back into. 
um, wanting to use it, craving. And, and it's a very difficult drug to to manage and to treat, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But I think the idea that, interestingly, both heroin and cocaine are plant-based, quote, and I'm using my air quotes here, folks, but it is a, a natural occurring substance. It's an herb. It's grown from the ground, and it's very specific to types of regions of the world that can actually even grow this plant. Heroin as well. They need to have very particular climates, soil, altitude in the case of cocaine. It's grown at relatively high altitude in South America. And because of this, there is um, this natural feeling that it's not so dangerous, mm-hmm. kind of like another herb that we keep talking about, um, but that it is, and that it is used in some tribal spiritual rituals. There is a medical use for heroin, and some countries still allow it as a pain reliever. There is a medical use for cocaine as a pain reliever and as a vasoconstrictor. So cocaine is available in the United States. It is a drug, though it's illegal. It is also a drug, though, that is used not real often, but often enough in medical procedures to um, to be a- available in a pharmaceutical grade <laughs> quality, usually as a liquid. The cocaine that we see in in medicine is a liquid, and it's put on topically, either mucous membranes in your nose if you're having ear, nose, and throat procedures, like you said, David, uh, on the eye to help numb the eye and constrict the blood flow so that the surgery can be done. I was most familiar with it when I was um, working in emergency rooms, and we would have children come in with cuts, particularly on their faces. And we would use something we called TAC, which was really um, topical cocaine, (laughs) this liquid that we would put a little piece of gauze that was soaked in it and just lay it on the area of the cut for a few minutes and it would numb the area and stop the bleeding and then you could sew it up and the child wouldn't feel it. If you have to give somebody an injection like lidocaine to numb the area, you're putting needles up by their face, you're scaring them to death and it really hurts. So the use of topical cocaine was really helpful for the children because then they would just lay there very calm and quiet and just kind of watch you with their big blue Euphoric. eyes and it was horrible, but you would <laughs> be able to sew up their face and um and it was much less distressing. So it is available and it was um originally used um In um, the Andes, Um, they estimate that 3,000 years before the birth of Christ, that the folks who lived in the Andes would chew the coca leaves, and they would take the, the, pull the leaf off of the plant and actually chew it, and it would give them energy, it would increase their heart rate and their breathing because they're at very high elevations. And this would help them climatize. In fact, there are some 
South American countries, which I'm not going to name, <laughs> but when you step off the airplane, they will often provide you a tea, um, either in the airport, sometimes in the hotels, and in that tea is coca leaves to help the person acclimatize to the altitude and to prevent altitude sickness. So very commonly still used in, in that purpose. When the um, uh, the native Peruvians also used it um, in religious ceremonies as a way to um, have contact with their higher power. When the Spanish soldiers invaded in 1532, they found that they could feed the coca leaves to the natives and keep them working, force them to work in the silver mines, and it made them easier to control because of the addictive nature and because these people would work a lot harder, faster, longer, and require a lot less food. <laughs> so it was a way of keeping them, you know, in, in some type of prison, really, without having to have bought bars and chains. So it's um, it's been around, it's been with us for a good long time, and it is still part of the culture in South America. And in South America is our primary um, source of cocaine. So at that point, it was still being being used in the leaf form as a tea, but, and and. Uh, so that the speed of which it would hit the brain and the length of time at which it would last was different. But in the uh, late 1800s, 1859, um, a German chemist by the name of Albert Niemann was able to isolate the, um, the cocaine from the cocoa leaves and <coughs> began, uh, began using it in medical situations which led to it then also being discovered by one of our favorites, Sigmund Freud. <laughs> <laughs> and and he quickly, um, some would say, had an addiction with it because he quickly dis- decided that it was a magical um, substance that was good for helping people with depression and for helping people with sexual impotence. Um, he referred to it as Uber, Uber Coca. Um, and, and that was actually a book he wrote. About touting the benefits of of cocaine cocaine and the miracle it was and the wide variety of uses. And what I thought was so interesting about it was that even though he recognized that it was causing physical decay in in people and causing moral decay in people, he still would tout it as, um, as a very beneficial medication that he would prescribe to his friends and his spouse, um, um, for for the general feeling of malaise and for help, helping them to just feel happy. He felt like the toxicity of it was really, really high for humans, and so there wasn't a great risk of death, even though some of his patients died from a cocaine overdose. From the amount that he gave. In fact, there's a wonderful book called The Anatomy of an Addiction, which looks at uh, the comparison of William Halstead, who is the um, father of American surgery, and um, also looking at Sigmund Freud. They were contemporaries, and they each had an addiction to cocaine. Now, William Halstead also is rumored to have had an addiction to heroin and or opium at the time, and he would alternate these two drugs, one to bring him down so he could sleep at night and one to bring him up so he could do surgery in the daytime. There's an interesting... 
um, a television series called The Nick, which is K-N-I-C-K, which is about the Knickerbocker um, Hospital. And it's the story loosely based on William Halstead and how he discovered a lot of very innovative and life-saving procedures that um, uh, really brought American surgery to the forefront um, and leader of the um, literature and the research. But his battle after hours (laughs) with with the addiction is is very... um, Unfortunately, graphically, but also fairly consistently demonstrated throughout this um, television series. So two very great thinkers, very innovative and bright people, were very misled about the magical powers and the safety of this particular drug. So we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to look again at... Um, at some of the history of cocaine and then some of the problems and the way in which it might be treated. Thanks for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and today I have David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're taking a new look at an old drug. Right before the break, we were talking about the history of cocaine and how it has been around is probably one of the oldest drugs that we know of. It certainly featured predominantly in South American history for many, many years. But interestingly, um, as it became touted by Freud and Halstead and others as having medicinal effects, in fact, it was even part of some of the treatment potions that we saw at the early 1900s for helping people recover from alcoholism, get them hooked on cocaine, was the philosophy back then, and a lot of the patent medicines had cocaine in it. Um, We'll see that Atlanta plays a prominent role in um, cocaine and its use by the general public. But And moving on through this, the century, in 1886, um, John Pembroke included coca leaves as part of the ingredients in Coca-Cola, which has been so instrumental in the growth of Atlanta and in the, the coke industry. It was being used in various elixirs and tonics, and, and people of all social classes were discovering the miraculous effects of it. Um, But by the early 1900s, they were also beginning to notice the problems with it. They were having people coming into the hospital with nasal um, problems. and and From snorting it. And the government reported in the year 1912 that there were over 5,000 cocaine-related deaths. Um, So by 1922, it was officially banned as a a substance, I think even at that point from medical use. because they realize that this miracle drug, like they've done with so many other things, um, has a a huge price to pay. A huge price to pay. In France, uh, during that time, they were adding wine, uh, excuse me, cocaine to wine, and it became a very popular drink, and people were finding this to be a very attractive combination. And as we talked in the first segment about coca-ethylene and that combination, that new substance that is formed, when you combine those two drugs, you can see that you've now got a third entity that is very powerfully addictive and also very destructive. So eventually that was prohibited, and that's what Pemberton um, was originally trying to do, was have the wine in his drugstore, the the cocaine-infused wine. Then he decided to add it to a the cola drink and the soft drink and made Coca-Cola. I have noticed at the Coca-Cola, the world of Coke, <laughs> down in town in Atlanta, they don't mention the cocaine as part of the name and how that all came to be, which I, I think is interesting because it is a big part of the initial success, at least, of Coca-Cola, and it has, um, even without the cocaine, it has remained a very popular uh, substance, very popular beverage um, that is used worldwide. So it it has been with us, and we see it moving through um, through history and having different times when it's more or less popular, but as you said, David, recognizing that it is highly addictive came a little bit late for many people. 
and the, the problems associated with it have been great. The, um, the takeoff that happened in the, the 1970s when the Columbia Drug Court tar- Cartel um, got involved and discovered the, the amazing ability for this substance to, substance to create its own demand. And, and speaking of popular um, media, the, the show about all of this on, I believe, Netflix, um, really, really showing how mm-hmm. cocaine um, changed the world. You know, it was being being exported from Colombia to America to Asia to to Europe, and and created such demand because people wanted to escape, and and so throughout the seventies and the eighties, uh, it really took off throughout the the Colombian cartel, and um, in the nineteen nineties there was five hundred to eight hundred tons of cocaine being produced a year and shipped throughout the world. It's really interesting. There's a a, a book um, called Narconomics by um, Wainwright that looks at how to run a drug cartel. And it talks about the different ways in which various types of drugs are produced and marketed and distributed. One of the things that he talks about in this drug uh, in this book is that if you're using cocaine it is the one drug you can be sure that people died getting it to you that the um the competition for this particular drug this particular substance because of its limited um uh, growing potential because of where it is and as one comp- country tamps it down, looking at the supply part of the problem, which has not been successful at all. But as we move it from um, Peru to Colombia, back to Nicaragua, when we're moving it down, it looks like we're doing this great job of decreasing the supply. We're just moving it around. And what's happened during the periods of time that it was less popular here in the United States the drug cartels have figured out how to make it more popular in Europe, in Asia, and in other countries. So the demand continues. It's just who's using it and where is where are the distribution routes. It's um, it's very fascinating to see what happens, but. This is a very deadly drug, not just for the people using it, but for the people growing it, the people distributing it, the people marketing it. Um, A lot of people are dying along this chain, and it's not just the end user. So this drug has a long and bloody history, and it um, is unfortunately from what we're seeing, making a resurgence. Mm -hmm. The interesting... um, information is looking at how many people are using it and how young they are. I was reading a study the other evening that showed that for people showing up in addiction treatment, 79% of them said they started using drugs before the age of 11. 79%, that is a lot of people using drugs well before most parents or and even many schools have even thought about needing to have those discussions with kids. So the use of drugs are very young, and this study that is from 
monitoring the future, um, looking at um, eighth graders. Um, 1.4% of eighth graders have used cocaine. That's a little scary. Mm Mm-hmm. When we look at the um, National Survey on Drug Use and Health, when we look at the lifetime prevalence of people 12 years of age and older having used um, cocaine, 14.5% of Americans have used cocaine in their life. That's a lot of people. It is. When you figure (laughs) um, this drug and that... um, you know, almost 1% of Americans 12 and older have used it in the last month. That's a lot of people. When we start to look at crack, which is another whole um, drug and, t- and topic in many ways, when we look at, at crack cocaine, um, it, the use, the lifetime use is much less, but when people get addicted to crack, this is a real difficult um, form of this drug that is very difficult to treat and very difficult to stop. And about 3.5% of um, Americans 12 and older have used crack cocaine. That's a lot. And mm-hmm. this is a highly addictive substance. It does not take long. For several years in, in the treatment world, we would talk about the first exposure to chemicals typically being um, nicotine. And that would be ages 11 or 12, um, stealing your parents' cigarettes and sneaking out back or something. And then the next exposure would be typically marijuana, and that would be around age 14 or maybe alcohol. Cocaine wasn't one of those things that you heard about in the early teens um, for for a long time. It used to be something you might hear about in the latter years of high school, like 17, 18-year-old. You would definitely hear about it with college. but in in looking at this and looking at the the focusing on the future studies to see how young it's starting, and fifty five percent of these kids are saying that they got it from pressure from their friends. So it's it's um, they're being encouraged. They're being told this will make you cool. This will make you be able to party all night. This will make you be able to have fun, and with a real emphasis on closing that deal. Knowing that knowing that this is going to just be generating money, that they're going to get these people to just join right in, mm-hmm. as opposed to come on, let's go get stoned together and let's have a good time. This is more about let's go ahead and get you introduced to this. So well, and it's interesting that there's that many children that age that have the amount of money that it takes to to purchase. You know that kids these days have money, right? But and and the the quotes from from former drug dealers who've who've either in prison or or have cleaned up their lives where they've talked about looking out on a playground and seeing these kids as just pawns, knowing that it was going to ruin their life, knowing it was going to take over their life, but saw them just as a a, wee, a way to get another client and have more money because they know the addictive potential is that high, especially. I would assume on a mm-hmm. early developing brain, right. right? And and they just have to have them use it once or twice or whatever, and it it creates its own need. So exactly, it is the perfect 
There's a, um, a very famous um, <coughs> graph that was published a few years ago in The Lancet, which is the journal of the um, British Medical um, Association, that looks at uh, dependency rate and then also um, physical problems associated with drugs. And the top two by far are cocaine and heroin, with heroin being um, the highest, most physically addictive and causing the most physical harm. It is a highly addictive drug, and it is one that we know imprints itself very quickly and lasts for a long time. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about cocaine and some of the new potential treatments for this very addictive substance. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Skip Coriel host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today I have with me David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're taking a new look at an old drug, cocaine. Right before the break, we were talking about that it is such a powerfully addictive uh, substance, um, cocaine, and that... In rat studies, and I know many people think, how is a rat related to a human? Well, interestingly, the part of the brain that is 
um, that contains the neurotransmitters and the locations that are associated with the development of addiction are almost identical between a rat and a human, and that many of the rats are genetically predisposed to addiction. Some of them are predisposed to not have addiction. And to be able to study what happens to the rat's brains, the life cycle is much shorter, and we can see um, effects of drugs and treatment and so forth um, much easier in terms of the rats. But we see that with um, a very brief exposure of heavy-duty cocaine, Rats become very addictive and addicted and will preferentially choose cocaine over food, over sex, over anything. And if you take it away for what would be the equivalent of about four years in human life, one exposure, just a brief exposure to cocaine again after four years of abstinence, and they're right back to wanting to use it the same level and same intensity as they did at the peak of their drug use back um, before their four years, which is actually 60 days. But of abstinence. Of abstinence. They are right back. It does not take much. This imprint, the priming effect of this drug is powerful. And if you think of that then on a young, developing brain, this is really going to rewire that system to greatly um, uh, be compelled to use this drug and to remember how good it was. You'll never get there again, but that memory is really powerful. It's been so interesting over the years watching what the researchers have done with cocaine in rats, that initially they would they were just testing how much a rat would do for cocaine, and they were, they were doing tests that would show the, the rat actually going out into a middle of a well-lit room to get cocaine, which is something that rats just never do. They always stay on the perimeter and they stay in the dark. But when they've been conditioned for cocaine, the, they would go right out into the middle. Now, in this study, they're, they're actually beginning to link it with the dopamine system and realizing that the cocaine has such a release of the pleasure chemical, something that, that we've been talking about in the treatment center world for a long time, that that if they have it associated with staying in a confined cage, they will stay there because that's where they think they're going to get the cocaine. And they did control studies where they had rats that weren't gone through this priming um, with the cocaine. And after that 60-day, that four-year period, um, the, the control studies, they, that rat would do it and not have... Um, the immediate drive to have as much as possible, and the one that had had that abstinence was exactly right there, back where they were. And that's something we've been seeing with cocaine addicts for years. If you use it again, it will be just as bad as ever, if not worse. If not worse. And there is no weeks, months, years buildup in the addiction like you see usually, um, where people can use it here and there and not have a problem. People think that if they've had a period of abstinence and they go back again, that they're going to have the luxury of months or years of casual use. And that just doesn't happen, particularly not with this drug. Really scary. Um, just on a side note, like two weeks ago, there was an article about um, 
scientists have have created a cocaine resistive mouse breed so they can they can put this mouse in with cocaine like they used to do the the experiment um and this mouse goes has a little bit and never goes back to it again mm-hmm. i thought that was pretty interesting so work towards developing a vaccine to protect people from ever becoming a cocaine addict mm-hmm. and that's been one of the things that that has been tried um, in terms of treatment, because right now we do not have any FDA-approved medications for treatment of cocaine addiction. We have it for alcohol, we have it for tobacco, we have it for opiates. We do not have it, unfortunately, for cocaine. So a lot of work is being put into let's find something. So the idea of building antibodies to the cocaine molecule, which is really tiny and can easily cross the blood-brain barrier which is how it gets into the system so quickly, um, if you have an antibody that latches onto it, onto the molecule, and now makes it too big to get into the brain, that's the idea behind the vaccine. Hasn't been as successful as we had liked, but there's some new things on the horizon that are showing real promise. Um, a university, uh, Cardiff University, released a study back in August looking at a cancer drug that is actually in the in the human um, stages of research trials it has not been released yet as a cancer medication but what they're finding is that it erases that powerfully imprinted memory of the cocaine experience so if you give this to animals and assuming people that they will no longer have that powerful euphoric recall so therefore they're not going to be drawn to the substance in the same way that we see our patients with addiction going back over and over and over again Mm -hmm. Uh, really interesting there's um, also a receptor that is in the brain that is specific for cocaine and um, Scripps um, Research Institute has developed a Um, a chemical that will block this receptor and as that happens um, then there is um, a decrease in the motivation for the person to um, or the rat um, to seek the drug. It doesn't seem to be nearly as rewarding as it was before they were given the medication that blocked the receptors. So this may be another way in which we may need to intervene medically is to block the site of action of cocaine and to block the transport molecules in order to take away the direct effect that cocaine is having in releasing this massive amounts of dopamine that are so pleasurable and so rewarding. So similar to what they've done with opiates and with alcohol using the naloxone to block the receptor sites so that if a person does use opiates or, or alcohol, they don't get the pleasure, they're, they're looking at doing this with cocaine. One of the problems with, the, with that as a treatment for the alcoholic or the opiate addict is that the person has to be compliant with taking the medication. And with, with that population, they really still have a good memory of... The high feeling, yeah, um, and and so making making clear that they're able to be compliant with the with the protocol is going to be crucially important. 
and that's where something like the vaccine right, right. <laughs> would be. Solve the problem before it so starts. Exactly, yes, and take away the need for uh, a daily or a weekly or a monthly dosing of a medication. Rockefeller University came um, out last week with um, identifying a, a specific protein that is produced in the brain that enhances the effect of cocaine and that this protein um, has been uh, shown to increase um, the way in which um, cocaine has its effect on the brain. And if there is a way to block this protein, they call it wave one, um, that there may be a, another way in which they can look at attempting to control the, um, the effect, the powerful rewarding effect of cocaine on the brain. And that is really going to be so very important. More research needs to be done in terms of the difference between the effects of cocaine on women and men because we see that there are different effects on women, particularly in different parts of their menstrual cycle, where they're more likely to crave, more likely to relapse, more likely to use more amounts. Um, very different in terms of men, male rats at least will prefer candy, chocolate, sweets to cocaine. Females seem to be more particularly drawn. Women seem to have a more powerful effect by cocaine. It gets them into trouble faster. They often come into treatment sooner, but they also often relapse more frequently. It was really interesting that the way they talked about the rise of the women's estrogen cycle um, creating a stronger drive towards life-sustaining um, behaviors like eating and sleeping and procreating, which is also what the cocaine would take over, that life-sustaining behaviors. So, well, Have they been able to study like what, what the drug does through different parts of different years, like different generations? Um, I think those studies are being done, but more to be revealed, but it looks like the the exposure in utero will certainly make that child potentially more likely to get addicted to certain drugs. We know that with tobacco. So more to be revealed. Certainly prevention is our best bet. Don't use it. Um, educate your children about it much earlier than you might have thought. And be on the lookout for new uh, advances as we are looking at this old drug in a new way. We'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction.